So, Peter. Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm very, very well. How I'm going to start right out of the gate. Yes. Come in hot. How do you feel about Armageddon? Is this the topic of today's podcast? It is sort of the topic of today's podcast. Are you talking about Armageddon as in the biblical sense of Armageddon? Not the biblical sense of that place where the final battle between good and evil happens. Uh, you could argue in some cases, Armageddon, no matter what it is, is going to refer to some sort of end of the world scenario. In this case, I am referring to the classic, and I am doing air quotes if you're listening, uh, Armageddon the movie, oh. Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, Bruce Willis stars as the head of a plucky blue collar. You lost me at Michael Bay. Yes. Uh, it is the scenario where, and the reason it applies to today's show, is that there is an asteroid barreling down on the earth mm-hmm. it will essentially wipe out everyone billy bob thornton's essentially the nasa guy perfect so and, he, and their scenarios yes of course and their idea to deal with this existential threat is to send up a drilling team a deep drilling team the best deep drill, drilling team to drill into want, an asteroid you wouldn't want to send up the worst deep no drill. you wouldn't want i mean it, it made sense right out of the gate go with the best yeah um and of course there's a great love story with uh, young Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler. And, of course, Liv Tyler's father, Aerosmith lead singer Steven Tyler. Aha. And the song that was part of I the... I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, babe. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Garner. So, crooning aside, it was huge. It was a huge movie. It was one of these massive blockbuster you know, sort of disaster movies, mm-hmm. but it really put the scenario on the radar of a lot of people about, yeah, what would we do in that? So, of course, what do you do here at, at the old uh, What If headquarters? You ask those questions. What if we blew up an asteroid? Because I don't know the answer. Do you know the answer? Uh, I've heard a little bit about it, but I would like to explore it a little bit more. Would you like to defer to somebody who might know the answer? I think we have a pretty good guest who might be able to talk about this at length we happen to have i think the perfect guest for probably any what if hypothetical but this case in particular the one the only bill nye the science guy yes we were able to get bill nye the science guy. i love it when he joins us well tell us more about him pete okay bill nye is a scientist engineer comedian author and inventor he's also a man with a mission to help foster a scientifically literate society and to help people everywhere understand and appreciate the science that makes our world work. Bill's classic show, Bill Nye the Science Guy, was nominated for 23 Emmys and won 19. And it paved the way for a career in making science accessible, fun, and super cool. And he's still doing exactly that with his sensationally entertaining and informative podcast, Science Rules with Bill Nye. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. We're super happy to have you on the show today. It's so good to be had. Well, it's, we all love to be had. <laughs> but before we get into the sort of the bigger what if of what if um, we blew up an asteroid, uh, we were talking off the top about Armageddon. And I'm, I'm assuming, A, you've seen it. And B, I was thinking about what is it like to watch a, a movie with Bill Nye, especially if there's science involved, because I, I imagine you'd be pointing out what is sort of a stretch and what isn't. If you remember that 1998 classic, 
deep drilling into an asteroid. Was that A, even feasible? And B, what did you think of how they handled the science? Well, here's the thing about it, you guys. You don't want to blow it up. That's the surprising thing. Okay, why? Because you probably get a shower of stuff that's on the same trajectory. Mm. You know, you, uh, as they say, and I'm, I only read about this, I'm not involved in research, but Bruce Betts at the Planetary Society is deeply involved in this. A lot of asteroids aren't solid rocks. They're in the expression, the charming expression in, in astronomy is uh, they're rubble piles. They're just um, uh, a loose collection of rocks held together by their mutual gravity. And uh, so if you set off an explosion, explosive near them, you just disperse them, but their overall momentum wouldn't change that much. Like they'd, they'd blow apart, but they'd still keep coming. They still keep coming at you. And so it's a very, uh, it's a, a very high risk scenario or way to go about trying to deflect them. Because it's rain and rocks, basically, is, is what you're saying. Like, basically a bunch of smaller meteorites all over yeah. the place. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Which would be just as deadly, I'm guessing. It sounds like Well, it. maybe, and, you know, maybe worse. You know, mm -hmm. if uh, they land all over the place instead of one place. You know, as we say, if you like to worry about things, asteroids are great. <laughs> yes. Bill, they say NASA, they tell us that NASA is tracking some 20,000 NEOs, uh, near-Earth objects at any one time. What, is, what does that process look like? And you guys, be proud. Canadian Space Agency is deeply involved in that. You know, the uh, Canadian Space Agency has an inst instrument on almost every mission that ever flies that's not from Chinese uh, Space Administration. So, um, uh what you want to do is find 100% of them. Right now, people estimate we found about 90% of them. Well, that leaves 10% of asteroids. We don't know where they are and whether or not they're going to cross the Earth's orbit with us there anytime soon. So we want to keep watching the skies and finding these things. Uh, and then, you know, you want 20 or 30 years notice so you can do something send Bruce Willis or whatever, you want to do something to uh, keep it from hitting the earth. And then there's this whole other thing about mitigation, where you get everybody to leave Winnipeg. So if it lands there, everybody will be okay. But this is a very, these are extraordinary things because the earth is turning, the earth's going through space. And these objects are largely rock, but many of them also have ice. And then there's other objects that you don't, you can't see near them. So their trajectory is pretty predictable, but there's errors uh, or unknowns on the order of a few days or let's say half a day. So is it going to land in Winnipeg or Vancouver or Tokyo? It's like, whoa, you, you can't really be sure. Oh, the ice will uh, volatize, will evaporate, will outgas. That's a good one. I give the thing a little nudge. So predicting it is, is uh, difficult to predict it within, with accuracy enough to evacuate cities, for example. And people have thought deeply about this. And so uh, that's why we want to find them all and get ready to give it a nudge. Yeah, it sounds like the nudge, the deflection is the, is the way to go. And a good hockey uh, reference there, the old deflection. Uh, we have a question from our... Um, yeah, the defenseman just puts a stick near it and it goes over the goalie's shoulder, yeah. Um, so 
we have a hard enough time tracking them right now. Like you said, 90%, there's still 10%. We have all this incredible technology, telescopes, etc. And now imagine going back to our poor friends, the dinosaurs, who didn't have that ability, that forewarning. Uh, and we know about that particular existential uh, event for them. Uh, we have a question from somebody in the What If community. Uh, Karthik Narayan asks, what if an asteroid the size of one that killed the dinosaurs came close to Earth, didn't necessarily hit us, but got, let's say, within our orbit, close enough to affect the moon or us. Is there danger there as well? Well, there's an, a saying, an alliterated saying, a miss is as good as a mile. Mm. Uh, and mile may not be a reference accessible to many Canadian listeners anymore, but it's, you know, a kilometer and a half. Yeah. And so uh, that, if it misses, it misses in general. But if it hits, it's really bad. So uh, on the, my podcast, Science Rules, we had uh, uh, Jacques, Jacqueline, um, the woman who did the analysis on the crater in off Chicxulub, what is now Chicxulub, Mexico. And the thing came in so fast. How fast was it? <laughs> it is supposed that it made the atmosphere into a plasma. This is to say, the atmosphere got so hot there locally uh, that uh, the electrons dissociate from their atoms and the air became opaque. Wow. What? It became so hot that it, it wasn't transparent to sunlight anymore for, you know, a few seconds. And then uh, the wind from it got to what is now France in a few hours. In other words, the impact was so big and so... Uh, catastrophic that it affected uh, the world. And this is where geologists, you know, when I was in school, when I was in elementary school, primary school, nobody really knew what happened to the ancient dinosaurs. But now everybody's confident in this, that this was the reason. The cone of the ejected material, the ejecta, was bigger than the diameter of the earth. Wow. What? Yeah. And then, um, this material that we all love so much, iridium, atomic number 77, it's over there, atomic number 77. Dangerous? Is all over the earth because of this impact. And so if it were to hit, that's what happens. If it were to miss, I mean, not much would happen. You presume, if I understand her question, uh, the thing is 30 kilometers across, you know, uh, 20 miles across. And uh, that's huge, but compared to the Earth, it's not that big. I mean, it's not big at all. It would just go streaking by. Would it do anything to the gravity of the moon or anything like that? That's what I was just pondering. I'm just thinking out loud. I don't think it's big enough. Mm -hmm. You know, we had an earthquake, what, six years ago that gave the Earth's axis a nudge. Mm. So I'd have to really, it would, I think it's a clear example of there's no question. Absolutely, it depends. Yeah, it depends how big the asteroid is, how fast it literally is going, and then how close it came. But I would imagine it would be measurable, but not sensible. In other words, we have instruments that would measure the gravity deflected, the deflection due to its gravity and motion, but a humankind, a person, couldn't feel it. I'm imagining. Well, we're gonna. We're first of all, this is great stuff. Uh, we're gonna continue with Bill Nye to talk about what if we blew up an asteroid and everything else and 
also talk about a few other cosmological scenarios. But, uh, Bill, there's another podcast. I don't want to say a better podcast. Another podcast Just as good. that people might be interested in. Might be better. Uh, called Science Rules with a guy named Bill Nye. Tell us about that. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a podcast I do uh, in two versions. Uh, every week we have somebody on um, who is an expert in his or her field talking about something cool. We had um, a gal talking about the asteroid impact. It's just this thing when you're under pressure. Uh, 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 Jacqueline. Anyway, talking about the asteroid impact, we had an uh, uh, expert on psychopathy. Wow. If you're a psychopath, then she pronounces psychopathy. We have, <laughs> uh, we have uh, every... Uh, every two weeks we do a coronavirus edition where we're talking about what's happening with this pandemic and uh, how serious it is in the U S you know, and I, you guys uh, as Canadians, I presume you're like everybody else. My colleagues, I have friends in Denmark and in Japan, they're just shaking their heads. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, and this goes back to the, the beginning of the US where just these systems, these legal systems were in place that just are, have real limitations that we're gonna have to overcome in the next election. Godspeed. Yes, Godspeed. Okay, great, Bill. Thanks very much for uh, joining us on the video podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for promoting my podcast. No problem. Be safe out there, you all. It's a dangerous world for us right now. Will do. Thanks, Bill. Wow, lots to unpack there uh, and plenty to talk about uh, to sort of break all of that down. Bill Nye, again, as always, a fantastic guest. But before we get to our chat, Peter, you have something else for us. So Bill Nye, a guy who knows a lot, also a guy who probably never stops learning. Doesn't sound like it, does it? No, and I think you're a guy who likes to never stop learning, am I right? Not to the same level of, of absorption, let's say, as a guy like Bill Nye, the science guy, but yes, I love to learn. I love to continue to learn, just like we do every week on this show. Well, now is the time to continue your studies or your learning, because, you know, with COVID-19, we're all at home, we got... Most of us have a little bit of extra time to learn. Well, why don't you become more informed, creative, inspired, relaxed, all with the Great Courses Plus. We're really big fans of this, aren't we, Richard? Well, so I was at home the other day, and this sounds made up, but it isn't. I'm going, uh, I'm setting up my smart TV because I just moved. So I'm going mm -hmm. through the apps available on my smart TV. Woot, there's our old friend, greatcoursesplus.com. I'm thinking maybe I could jump in and get prepared for the Bill Nye episode. Woo, moon rocks. There's a whole episode on moon rocks from the Apollo mission. Uh, this uh, Professor Bob uh, Hazen is talking about this, is, in his words, the scientific bonanza that that created 50 years ago when they just came home with a few rocks from the moon. You'd think, well, that's kind of, what, is it a paperweight? No, they've been actually gleaning tons of scientific info. And then all of a sudden we're talking to Bill Nye earlier and he's talking about moon rocks and how they've actually helped us understand what the age of our planet, continents here, uh, you know, minerals and elements in the earth. Like it's yeah. incredible the amount of knowledge we've been able to glean from moon rocks and incredible the amount of knowledge I was able to glean from a greatcoursesplus.com episode that I was getting ready for this show. Well, let me tell you, The Great Courses Plus has not only that, but thousands of lectures on almost any topic imaginable, from the history of Egypt to the study of DNA, and new courses are added all the time. There's someone for everyone, not just moon rock lovers like yourself. Plus, 
Every course is presented, like you say, by subject matter experts from top universities and institutions. It's in-depth, reliable, fact-based information. And you can watch or listen from your phone or your TV with the Great Courses Plus app at any time from anywhere in the world. So make the most of your time. Keep learning with the Great Courses Plus. Right now, they're offering fans of this show an amazing deal, an entire month of access for free. This limited time offer won't last, so sign up today to get started. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash what if. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash what if. I think you meant to say thegreatcoursesplus.com slash what if. That's, I think, exactly what I said. So let's go there and get your free month. So perhaps not surprisingly, well, maybe it was surprising to people listening or watching, but if you blow up a massive asteroid, there is that sort of other piece of the puzzle, which is, I don't know, the trillion pieces of that puzzle that are going to turn into mini sort of meteors. And all of a sudden, it's not raining, man. It's it's, it's raining. Yeah. And still, there's maybe the disaster is spread out and it's not as existential in terms of the impact, but you're still going to have massive damage. Yeah. And I don't know if it's not going to be as existential. I mean, Bill said it himself that it could be even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, a, I don't know what the number would be. A million meteors crashing into Earth. Like that would be devastation on all corners of the planet rather than just concentrated in one area. Yeah. One thing I didn't know about asteroids is that they're not necessarily one large rock. Yes. Is that they are a cluster of much... Debris or whatever, or or, but I mean, or rubble. I think was the word he used. But it's interesting because really, okay, first of all, deflection is the only scenario. Yeah, really. In the end of the day, it's rerouting something. Whether whether it's lasers, whether it's some sort of whatever it is, it's not going to be blow it up. It has to be push it off course away from the Earth. That's pretty much it. And again, that the the lead up you'd need again you'd have to know it's coming. And as he talked about, we know where a lot of them are coming. 90%. We know where 90% of them are. Did that Did that reassure you, Peter, that there's 10% that we don't know? Uh, no. I was surprised by... I was waiting to hear, we know 98.9, and there's maybe a couple of surprises. 10% is a big window. 10% is a big window, but in just... Envisioning how large space is, like, I don't blame anybody for missing, yeah. missing 10% hey, of look, the asteroids I'm, on the way. I'm not throwing shade at yeah. the people that so, were manning the telescopes. You're, you're on the Millennium Falcon going through a, a, a meteor field. Can you count all those things in there? No, and I mean, and again, kudos to that, that incredible piloting skill of Han Solo. <laughs> but no, I mean, it is interesting that really this is a scenario that's been talked about. We talked about it off the top with movies and whatever. And really, it's not feasible because the, the, no. the question marks, the downsides, the risk versus the reward factor too high. It seems like, uh, you know, the more you talk about these scenarios, which get entertained, whether it's through sci-fi or whatever it else it is, you realize that, yeah, you want to be prepared, but you can only be prepared for so much. And in this case, this doesn't seem like going up there with a nuclear bomb and blowing up an asteroid is even on the table. No, not at all. Well, if you enjoyed our chat with Bill Nye, the science guy, and want to hear more with him, well, join us in the extended audio version. Just click on the link in the description below, and we'll have more with Bill Nye, the science guy. He'll join us, and we'll talk more about exploding nuclear bombs in space and possible extinction-level events.
Well, Bill, welcome back. Earlier, we talked about the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs, but there have been others. What are some of the greatest hits, uh, so to speak, of asteroids hitting Earth? And how many of those could be classified as extinction level? Well, you guys, I think there are 11. Uh, there have been, you know, you have a great one there, Manicouagan. Is that how I say it? Yeah. You have a huge crater, yeah, in Canada. That's pretty impressive. And the place we encourage everybody to visit. Now, I'm, I'm not an Arizonan. I'm not from Arizona, but I encourage you here in the States. But I encourage everybody to someday go to Meteor Crater, Arizona, Behringer. The Behringer family owns the land. And uh, it's just amazing. There's this giant hole in, in the ground. <laughs> uh, but there have been five extinct, mass extinctions and uh, three of them were probably caused by asteroids. So the most recent one was 66 million years ago that took out the ancient dinosaurs. It's just the trauma is it's really hard to imagine how deadly these things could be. It doesn't sound like any situation with 7.6 billion people can handle that level, even no matter where it would be in Earth. I mean, we've talked about sort of hypotheticals like Armageddon and, and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously tongue in cheek, but in, in all seriousness, to your point, this is something we would have to pay attention to seriously because of the past, because of the history and what we know. People have entertained nuking asteroids, to your point earlier. It doesn't sound very feasible. We've talked about, you know, the possibility of deflecting but there are proposed missions are there not bill like where people are actually looking to go out and start to start to do some test runs around what we could know more and how we could be better prepared well, for this type of thing. I, I know what you're talking about, you're talking about dart yeah. which is a fabulous acronym fabulous yes dual asteroid uh redirect test dart so there's a there's a double asteroid these two objects are orbiting each other and we're going to, NASA is going to hit it with a spacecraft and see how, see what happens. See if you could deflect it with an impact, just running right into it. It's cool. You know, uh, so the scenarios, the ideas about what to do with an asteroid are just fantastic. Make a spacecraft so big, how big would it be that its gravity would, could be used to tug the asteroid, a gravity tug ship? tug the asteroid off course a little bit. Uh, then you mentioned setting off a nuclear weapon in the hopes that the expanding gases or atoms would give the asteroid a nudge or give it, set it off so that the material of the asteroid itself would have momentum to give the asteroid a nudge. And then uh, at the Planetary Society, we are all kooky for our laser bees. These would be spacecraft with uh, solar panels that would drive, make electricity to drive lasers. Then we'd laze the surface of the asteroid and bzz, 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 wow. except in space, there's no sound. It would just be, and then the <laughs> ablating, ablating material would, the burning off material would give it a momentum and have momentum and give it a nudge. And we call it the bees because the proposal would be to build many, many of these. Like you'd start with a dozen, but let's say four dozen of these things. And you'd fly them out there and they would work together like mobile phones, hmm. uh, handing the, uh, the lasing from one spacecraft to another. All asteroids that we are aware of are tumbling. 
usually in three axes, you know, X, Y, and Z. So they're, you would might want to lay a, a specific place on it every time it's spun by, you know, where the ice is or something. Yeah. So that's just a cool idea that, you know, you sit there with the drawing board and running little calculations about how big a laser is and how much it takes to melt a rock. And, you know, it's fun. But it could be very serious someday. You mentioned earlier about the nuclear explosion. We decided that was not a good idea to blow up an asteroid mm -hmm. with a nuclear explosion. But a, a, nuke, a nuke has been exploded in space. Maybe tell us what that looks like or what, you know, well, that, yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, somebody, they set them off in space think, to see what would happen. And apparently the nuclear, nucleotides, these things that, uh, you know, charged particles are detected all over the world even today. I'm not an expert on that, you guys, but I did grow up. I'm so old. How old are you? I'm so old. In elementary school, we would have drills. Oh, wow. Getting in the hallway on your knees. Uh, covering, yeah, ducking and covering for reals. My family did dabble in, an, in a, a fallout shelter, uh, having enough water for six weeks or something. You know, uh, the, the catastrophic nature of nuclear weapons is really hard to get. And that countries want to have these things as a deterrent is... Uh, an old human tendency, perhaps, but it is catastrophic, you guys. You can't just, hmm. you can't set off nuclear weapons. It's just, it would be the end of the world. I, I remember that level of fear, too. Like, I'm, you know, I remember, you know, when... Cold War. Cold War, and that, you know, the Korean jet airliner, 007, that was shot down, and, and the sort of the palpable fear. That was just, fear. that was uh, a catastrophic mistake. So, for people who don't remember this, there was an airliner with regular passengers on board. And apparently there was a routine business of just cutting the route a little short by flying over or near Soviet airspace in the former Soviet Union. And one day chain of command, this one thing led to another and they shot down an airliner, a completely unarmed airliner with civilians on board that included a, a member of the U.S. Congress. And this led to all sorts of conspiracy theories and stuff. But it was just the nature of what goes wrong when the consequences are really high. People use the expression hair trigger. You just barely squeeze it and it goes off. And so that was the military chain of command at that time in the Soviet Union. And you know, it led to the death of more than 100 civilians. I remember the I remember the fear level was 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 again palpable. You really felt, oh my God, could this be it? But it's interesting because I couldn't imagine then or at other times of your life when you're doing duck and cover drills and you're a kid or Cuban Missile Crisis or whatever it might have been, where somebody could have said to you, well, you know what, Bill, I'll ask you this question in 30 or 40 years, and you're going to have a different answer as to the thing that keeps you up at night the most. All our lives, it would have been this scenario. Yeah. But today, would you say now you are actually more concerned about climate change than you are about nuclear annihilation? Oh, yes. Climate change is way more likely and serious and affecting more people. Yes, that's not a trick question. Yeah. Nuclear, nuclear war is still something to worry about. And uh, conventional U.S. administrations have been working for decades to try to reduce the number of weapons that are unguarded, the number of things that can go wrong. I say conventional administrations, you know, we're in the middle of a, 
unconventional one. Uh, but uh, climate change is a way more serious problem. But the more serious the problem, the more likely you are or a society is to get conspiracy theories. And so uh, this problem of climate change is so big and so daunting that people are in denial about it. And when they're in denial about it, this is when these conspiracy theories emerge, that there's a bunch of scientists all in cahoots, all working together to promote a hoax that the world is getting warmer and it's not really getting, but it is getting warmer, everybody. And uh, Andrian, Carl Sagan's uh, wife, widow now, remarked, uh, something to think about is what is true matters. Like we're living at a time with social media where people have a perception that anyone's opinion, that your own opinion is as good as anybody else's opinion, that your opinion about climate change is as good as a climate scientist's opinion about climate change. Your opinion about the hockey stick graph depicting the temperature of the world being pretty steady for millennia and then going up very quickly in the last 250 years, that your opinion of that, those data, is the same as an, the guy who, Mike Mann, the guy who was the lead author on the first publishing of that paper. And that's not right. That's wrong. That's wrong. Your opinion is not as good as his opinion. And so uh, we have got to get through this. We've got to get through this time where people's lack of what's called generally called right now, critical thinking ability, ability to reason, ability to evaluate evidence is roughly so bad. <laughs> How do we do that? How do you put it to them? Except any crazy thing that comes up. And so oh. climate change is, it's so serious that people are in denial about it and they create conspiracy theories about it. Bluntly, how would you just put it to somebody who thinks their opinion is just as good as, uh, as an educated scientist? Uh, well, you're wrong. I mean, and so th that's what I just tell them. You're wrong. And, and then you can get all into it about how do you change somebody's mind? And this is a question that has vexed me for decades. <laughs> how do you change somebody's mind? That's a haunted house. No, it isn't. That house is full of ghosts. No, it isn't. How do you change somebody's mind? It's a process. In my experience, it takes a couple of years. The first time you show a climate change denier the evidence of climate change, he or she just puts it aside. No, I, you're wrong. I don't believe you. I read this one article by this one guy, and so you're wrong. Uh, it takes a couple years for the person to be presented with the overwhelming evidence of climate change for him or her to change her or his mind. And to Canadians, uh, I just say all the time, you guys, sooner or later, somebody's going to have to do something about the tar sands, mm -hmm. changing the subject to you. Uh, I, most of the Canadian, my friends who are Canadian, the people I've met when I, you know, and I love going to Canada. I, I mean, you people from the U.S. love Canada, respect Canada. I think it's wonderful. Uh, uh, you know, when you go to most Canadians I've spent time with have not been to Fort McMurray have not seen the tar sands. Uh, but when you see the scale of it, it's really amazing. It's, I mean, it's amazing in a troubling way. You yeah. know, the whole place is made of this asphaltine 
that chemical engineers have figured out how to convert asphalt into oil. And uh, the, the scale of it is just amazing. And it's really bad for the environment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a, been a hot button issue. And you know, the U.S. right now, the U.S. is being, is just the worst. I mean, I'm the first to admit. I mean, I'm a native U, from the U.S. And it's just so frustrating and crazy making. But uh, what's built into both of our governments, U.S. and Canadian government, and to government so-called liberal democracies around the world, free-thinking democracies around the world, is change. Mm. Change is built in. So I encourage everybody from every country to vote. Be sure to vote. And when you vote, think about the environment. It's a perfect way to, because as Bill Nye might say, change is the only constant in the universe. We went from potentially asteroids hitting the, the Earth to nuclear uh, self-annihilation to the tar sands, to the tar sands and climate change issue. Asteroids, asteroids come, killing the dinosaurs. Somehow we went full circle here. Yeah. Well, the whole thing, we're talking about catastrophes, right? Yes. We're talking about things that could go wrong for humankind. You know, I remind everybody, the Earth is going to be here no matter what we do. Yes. I mean, the Earth is going to orbit the sun, things it's going to carry on. But I want to save the earth for me, for the humans. And this is the challenge right now. So you guys um, are of a certain age. By the time you're my age, you're going to have to, almost certainly, we're going to have to have technologies for taking carbon dioxide out of the air. Like not just, I say just, not only stopping pumping carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the air, but actually going to the next step of, actively removing it. And that's going to be difficult. It's going to take a lot of energy, literally electricity, let's say. And that's going to come from someplace. And you guys, your listeners and viewers are going to figure this out. So let's go. Let's get her done. Let's do it, Bill. We always appreciate when you're able to join us. And I know our listeners do too. It's always uh, enlightening and entertaining. So thank you very much for joining thank us. You guys. Well, Kara, uh, thanks for listening, you all. Let's change the world. Science rules with Bill Nye. Science rules. Science rules. So, yeah, wow. Obviously, we're kind of treated today because we, we went down a couple of different rabbit holes. Not necessarily expected rabbit holes, but that's what you get when you talk to a guy like Bill Nye. Yeah, the science a guy. brilliant mind doesn't not just stay focused forever. He's got a lot to say about a lot of things. Well, but when you're, t it's interesting because we were talking about, obviously, a pretty big existential event, an asteroid hitting the Earth. But we, we end up by default, almost going into other possible existential events that are more in our control. Nuclear, you know, nuclear arsenals that countries have, mm -hmm. a bigger concern when we were younger. But imagine hearing somebody like Bill Nye say that at this point of his life, he is more concerned about climate change than he is about nuclear weapons. Yeah, it's more real these yeah. days. It doesn't seem like nuclear weapons, I mean, other than uh, North Korea maybe posturing once in a while yeah. about nuclear weapons. Nobody's talking about them anymore. We've essentially eliminated them from the uh, from the conversation. It is all about climate change. Mm -hmm. And if in the end we are ever talking about the the, the world coming together, whether it's to uh, send a deep deep core drilling team to an asteroid to try to drop a bomb into it, or <laughs> whatever the scenario is that Billy Bob Thornton is manning manning for mission control at NASA, 
you would wish that we would have that same sort of level of focus, perhaps a laser-like focus, yes. as Bill talked about. So we can blaze the side of an asteroid? So we can blaze the side of an asteroid, but we can also ultimately somehow mobilize everyone around this one particular issue that seems, I would say, to scare more people these days than A, the prospect of nuclear annihilation, or B, an asteroid hitting the Earth. Well, you say most people are, are afraid of that, but he mm-hmm. did also bring up the fact that there are other people who just won't mm-hmm. accept it as fact. And people who you can tell a hundred times, and like he said, it'll take you three years mm-hmm. before you can get through somebody's head who's got their own opinions. Damn what all the scientists say. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard that uh, global warming is not uh, happening. So, Fake news? Yeah, fake news. I'm just going to keep idling my car and chopping down all the trees in the forest and... Uh, Swimming in the tar sands. I'm going to go uh, make, a, make a home out of styrofoam. <laughs> and that's sort of lost. Uh, it's, you know, nobody's afraid of styrofoam as it's, much as they would. And I still see it. Like, you still see it occasionally. And I'm like, what decade is this that styrofoam is still being made? Right. CFCs. Remember when that yes. was all the... Uh, that mean, was around the same time as the Cold around War. Around the same time. But it's interesting. For a guy like Bill Nye who's been around this game for a long time, obviously going back as far as the 80s, his massive show in the 90s, Bill Nye the Science Guy, of course, now the podcast Science Rules with Bill Nye. The refrain has been the same. Ultimately, what is science? Science is us trying to explain the natural world. But it's definitely shifted over the last five and ten years to a level of urgency that has seen him even produce videos where he's dropping F-bombs. I don't know if you haven't seen it, Google it. It's, it's hilarious. But it sounds like a guy that's not just exasperated out of frustration, he's exasperated because he feels like time is running out. Yeah, I think he's also trying to appeal to regular people, more mm-hmm. so than, you know, a scientist can come on television and start telling you science facts, but you don't relate to that. You can relate to a guy who's dropping F-bombs and who's mm-hmm. who's getting upset and getting really frustrated. Yeah. I mean, that really, as much as I already believe in it, mm-hmm. you know, it really relates to me and I see him more as a, a spokesperson for it. Um, in these days and future years. Like you and I. Thanks again to the always amazing Bill Nye, the science guy. How do we get nicknames like that? Bill Nye, the science guy. Richard Garner, the science farmer. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Peter Speechin. <laughs> the science reaching. Sci- I'm reaching for science. Yes. Anyways, thanks again to the always amazing Bill Nye for joining us on What If Discussed. If you want more What If, well... Sign up for the What If Explorers Club newsletter for tons of cool science stuff and to find out what we're doing behind the scenes here. Richard, what are we doing behind the scenes? Exciting things, but you will have to sign up to find out. And to sign up, go to whatifshow.com. That's whatifshow.com. That's it for today. We'd like to thank everyone out there for joining us, and we'll see you next time on What If Discussed. 